This is The Strategist, episode 1289. My name is Zane Velger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan. Oh, and of course, Stephen Carter. Guys, how's it going? Well, it's going great, Zane. I mean, <laughs> we started to do another recording. My phone rang, because apparently I'm very popular at 8.36 on a, on a Sunday night, and Corey gave me shit. Corey, I did. Corey pretended like this is the first time it's happened, and he gave me shit. This is the 28th time it's happened, and... Uh, I know it's now, wrong. Now, Eddie, okay. How many times of those twenty-seven before did I give you shit? Every single time. Every single. Every time. single yep. time. Every and single. I feel time. belittled. So, if I'm honest, Corey's not who you think he is. I, I'll just yeah, yeah. he's no. he's different. He's a whatever tough whatever nut whatever you think he is, he's not that. Hey, speaking of things, hey, this is actually a great segue. Um, you know, oh, uh, as you know, the Strategist Media Corporation, Corey, uh, we are registered here in Alberta. Uh, I do, if I'm not missing. Okay, that's good. We are, and I know. A corporation incorporated under the Perfect. laws of That's Alberta. Right. And, That's and I know that our yeah. province, uh, we'll talk about our most recent budget, likes to borrow some some policies from the United States. So I just need to clarify in advance, uh, episode 1289, let's mark a reference point. We are not a podcast. We are a bakery. Okay. That is a, that is a <laughs> deep cut for two people. Uh, I, look, it's going to be zero people if they're listening to it a week later, but yeah. I, yeah, I'm down for that. Carter, did That's you like good. that joke? Yeah. Did you get that joke? Didn't get the joke, but this is not un- <laughs> this is not unusual for me. Corey. I I just kind of go for it. Uh, Carter. Yeah. You know, you just need to hang back. Well, maybe I'll take you out to a Panera Bread one day, and we'll we'll talk about it a bit more. It's good. I don't even okay. know. What, Are we're we gonna explain it. No, we're not gonna explain. Why would we explain it to people? Why would we explain it? Our knowledge base is greater than theirs. They already know that, and then we could just move on. That's why they're uh, listening. <laughs> If we let them be as smart as us, we let them be as smart as us, they'd record their own podcast. Okay, right? Yeah, no, we're not going to let them. We're not going to let them do that. Yeah, that's a good point, Uh, Carter. Anything else to report before we move it on to our first segment? Ski day today. Excellent outdoor day today. I'm so glad. Yeah, Yeah. unbelievable. Almost got frostbite, but I didn't. But if my cheeks seem a little rosy, uh, for the for the viewers, uh, if my cheeks seem a little uh, rosy for the viewers, then uh, that's why because of the skiing. Yeah. Normally he looks as pale yeah, as a goat, but he has he has dressed it up for for the viewers, as he says. Or collar too. Yeah, nice, nicely done, Carter. Um, Corey, anything to report yeah. before we move it on to our first segment? I did not go skiing. Well, that's the right so, thing to do. That is the. I've offered purpose. to take Corey skiing. Yeah. He did. Offer has yet to be uh, yeah. accepted. Mm-hmm. Weird that. Yeah. Yeah, straight. Okay, great. Excellent. Thank you for, for, for really juicing the podcast with an extra minute of bullshit. We're going to move it on to our first segment, Carter, <laughs> our first segment. Why the fuck do we still do this? This is the catch-all segment, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, that I put in yeah. stories of the day that are not necessarily stories of the day, but I ask you guys, the wizards, the the sages of political strategy, uh, ask you about a per- particular political policy point, a political practice that has become conventional wisdom, something that we see every now and then, but we just don't spend enough time on to maybe dissect whether it is a good idea or not, whether it is something that we value or we don't. It just so happens that it happens. Carter, I've got another example to bring us to uh, to today. Okay. We have a by-election happening tomorrow in Durham. That's not the focus of this. The conservatives are more than likely going to win. Okay. Jamil Giovanni, the Tory candidate, is, is more than likely going to be the next MP from Durham. It's been a seat held by the conservatives for a very long time. What interests me, Carter, is the liberal candidate. You guys don't need to know anything about him, other than the fact that his name is Robert good. Rock. That's good. He's a municipal councillor in the area. And Carter, yeah. he flirted before seeking before becoming the liberal candidate. He flirted with seeking the conservative nomination in the riding. Oh, and my great. question to you guys is: we've we've seen this a few times that that there's a a candidate that one party picks up and it comes out, or they voluntarily disclose it. Like I was thinking about the other party, just so you know, right? I was thinking about the other the other side was yeah. all supporting yeah. me. Why the fuck do we still do this? Is my question. Is this is this is this helpful to anybody? Is this helpful to the candidate? Because you could think of this in a couple of ways. One way is that oh, I was wanted by a lot of parties, but with our sort of greater sort of delta yeah. between our political parties these days, is it even useful to kind of say that I was being courted by multiple sides? Carter, why the fuck do we still do this? Is my question. This could be a short and or a very long segment. I'll leave that up to the two of you. Oh, it's because there's an infinite amount of stupidity in politics. Um, 
I mean, could you imagine, you know, like you're going to the altar, right? You're about to get married and you say uh, at the at the altar, oh, I could have married any number of women, um, but I chose you. Like, well, well, I be, guess on some clear, level, you guys were better. at my wedding and I did. I did. You did do that. Yeah. I did yeah. say to my first wife. Yeah. Uh, what I what yeah. I did, uh, which was yeah. actually correct. I still got in shit for it, but it was correct. Carter, keep going with your point. Yeah, no, I'm just uh, that was it. That was the whole. That point. was the whole point. That's all there so, is. So to be clear, yeah. you feel like either a campaign or a party or a candidate disclosing and perhaps celebrating the fact that they were no. wanted by others. It doesn't help strategically, or is there is no, it situationally? It says, is it situationally help? No. No, because it basically says I am a political whore. I will go wherever uh, someone wants me, and I will go to the highest bidder. Uh, it's exactly how we got Corey on the podcast. Corey, no, it's true. In, mm-hmm. I was going to be on the Hurley. I, mean, I, could, I can be on the Hurley Burley. You just, you just fucking say it. In tomorrow's episode, I'm there. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely not there, uh, Corey. Now, in this particular case, I want to give the, yeah. Robert Rock, you know, the, the full scope of, of his comments. Right? He said, "Listen, I wasn't comfortable with the conservatives. Uh, they were moving hard right, etc." Like most people would kind of see the writing on that wall when you would be you know, considering the, the nomination for that party. But he said, "You know, the liberals align to my values." But Corey, same question to you. Why the fuck do we still do this? Is it actually a helpful political practice? Is it a strategic one? What do you think? Can be. Can be. So, listen, There's, I, there, I can think of three reasons right off the top of my head why you might do this. One of them we've already kind of talked about. It's the... It's the ego getting in the way. They think they're such a big deal. They need you to know they're a big deal that yeah. they had other mm-hmm, options, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So that's number one. Number two, getting more into the forgivable and understandable space is to say, I'm a moderate, you know? I'm I'm not one of those crazy liberals. I'm I'm a liberal who could have been a conservative in mm-hmm. more normal mm-hmm. times, but you know, I, I'm a moderate. And so you, the good voters of Durham, you can vote for me. I know you usually vote conservative. I have those conservative values, but I'm voting liberal because they're they're too crazy. So that's number two. And the third is actually a word that came out of your lips already, Zane. Disclosure. If he was actually talking to the conservatives at any point along the way, it's a ready-made attack for them to say, yeah, he's a political whore. He was just going to go run for us until we didn't want him, until we got Jamil Giovanni. So now he's going to run for the liberals. So he's defanged that by disclosing. Like one of the things that we always say in the green light process, which is the process through which you validate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. candidates is – you know, there's not a lot of automatic red lights in it. There's not a lot of things where you're like, well, you can absolutely not run. You can run with a criminal mm-hmm. record. You can run if you've had a bankruptcy. You can run if there was some sort of like weird academic fraud at some point in your past. As long as it's part of your story and it's been addressed and it's been disclosed, right? And so if you are sitting there and you're contemplating running for the liberals and you fill out all of the paperwork and you say... Full disclosure, I was also talking to the conservatives at one point. It, it's not crazy to me that a campaign organizer of some sort would say, that's fine, but it needs to be disclosed so that we can get out ahead of it. And you can use it as a bit of an attack on them as he's done there. So those are the three reasons that I immediately thought. Carter, Corey's kind of a little bit more aligned to where I would be, which is situational. There could be some situational strategy that, that it, where it kind of makes it useful, kind of where it make, makes it helpful – but you've disagreed on the situational argument. Yeah. Do you do you want to respond to Corey on this? The only one I can wrap my head around is the disclosure one, right? Um, if you feel like it's going to come out anyways, then it's probably some, and you want to disclose it. I can, in fact, wrap my head around that. Everything else that came out of Corey's mouth was unmitigated bullshit. Um, why why thanks, does buddy. the moderate one not? You've always been my does, favorite. The moderate yeah, one doesn't why does work that one for me. No, it doesn't why, work for me. Why? Because, that's the, because they're extreme. Because the conservatives are extreme, and they can, and we're we 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 always go with uh, the team. It's team playing now, guys. We don't get the we don't get to play with both teams. We this is a one team one time type of situation, and you don't get to go and just jump around and be on whatever side you want to be on. This is a one team one time type of situation, and you can't in today's society say. Oh, I almost played for the other team. Ah, there, almost there, did. Almost there did. Is some... Almost went to the hurly burly. <laughs> Carter, they, they wouldn't. Okay, okay, let's just, hey, just be Carter, clear. Carter, out, yeah, out of you, curiosity, you think they'd... like how many political parties have you worked for in your life? Just all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's either it's either one of them or all of them. 
It can't be. No, no. It can't I mean, be. Can't. I am. But guys, guys, let's be clear. Political horror. Yeah, okay. You're a political yeah. horror. Yeah. The, 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 charge, it's great, it's the charge would be made and and fully accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And accepted. Yeah. Carter would yes end that charge with his improv, yes with his improv skills. You're hey, welcome. Point, you know, Carter makes a good point um, around the team sport element, right? Like, like the liberals yeah. are not going to win on Monday. Like, there's a very good chance that, like, they're not going to win on Monday, right? Like, I, I uh, mm-hmm. but they're not going to win on Monday. So if you are not going to win, don't you just want a partisan? Like, don't you just want someone who's, like, kind of bleeds red in some ways rather than the guy that's like, yeah, you know, I could have gone to the other side sort of thing. Fuck, I may go to the other side after the end of this thing. You know, fuck, it, I'm here for 30 days. Like, so who the hell knows? Now, of course, he hasn't said that, right? But I'm kind of extrapolating this case. Yeah. Don't you want someone who's a team player? Like, who's kind of bled with the same colors as you if you, if you don't have a chance to necessarily kind of take this one? I mean, I think if you do have a chance, mm. you want that. Like, there, there is a reality that politics is about, in theory at least, getting the things you want done, done. And so saying, yeah, we're going to throw a conservative up there. I actually, if I was a party member, if I was a liberal in Ontario, I would feel more comfortable about throwing them out to lose than I would risking them becoming an MP and having any influence Policy. on liberal yeah. strategy. I actually think what Carter said... Is, is something that you have to take into account. We live in very charged times. And the idea that you are going to say, you know what, I could have been a conservative. I, you know, I think that would have worked in the Liberal Party of the 90s. So I don't me, think it would work in the l- Liberal Party of the 2020s. Let me port that into the, the current sort of political graph. Would that work from an NDP liberal? Like if someone asked one, me, if, if someone asked Zane Velji to be like, I almost, almost ran for the NDP federally, uh, but I ran for the liberals instead. Is, is that work just because they're cousins and frankly in a formal relationship at this moment? Well, uh, you, when you say cousins, a lot of people's heads will explode. Oh, yeah, Zane. man. I Zane. mean, Jeez. yeah, like, no. Oh, they are. <laughs> Talk about kissing cousins. They're, they're, oh. they're, 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 yeah. Trust me, they, they are in a formal relationship together, whether they want it or not. They're in a formal relationship together, Zane. But th- oh, they're, they're miles bringing, apart. Uh, they're miles apart. Yes, sorry, sorry. Ideologically, yes, of course. No, no, no. It's not about ideology. It's about how much you like or dislike the yes. other. The NDP, you you'll see far more orange blue switching than you'll see orange red because of because of how hardened some of those yeah positions are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's talk about the politics of small differences yep. here too, right? Like in many ways, you will find that. Uh, when there is less separating the position, that's when it can get nastier and uglier. And you will say, over my dead fucking body. It's actually part of why I would say some of the most vicious fights that I'd seen in politics before, kind of this all bets are off time that we're in right now. No, red, red. 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 Oh, interesting. You know, in leadership, right? You got to keep in mind, you know, I was a liberal during some pretty charged and polarized times, Kretschenites, Martinites, that kind of stuff. And, And so... The closer they are, sometimes the worse it can be. And to put it the other way, though, I, I will say, if we want to treat them as actually normal human beings and not political yeah. machines, there is something to, like, I'm looking at this party, I think I could run for them. No, I've decided not, I'm going to run for this one. And you will realize that it's often said, like, there's no there's no zealot like a convert, right? Somebody who was there and now all of a sudden they're, they're on the other side and they're letting yeah, it all of hang course, out. Of course. But lots of... Carter, I conclude this segment generally asking you, do we need more or less of this in politics? The same, you're fine with it as being a current practice. Let's just park disclosure from a second and let's use a strategic lens. More or less the same. What What is your take on this particular? I could have gone either way. Other parties were courting me. FYI sort of thing from a strategy yeah, perspective. We need to have exactly zero of this. Carter, Carter is less. Corey, you were more situational in your analysis. Are you situational in your go forward in terms of more or less uh, or the same from a strategic lens? I, I think we need less because as much as we'd like to pretend it's about being strategic, I'm not convinced it's good strategy mm. for all of the reasons we've talked about. I think that I can understand the strategic conversation that goes to show you're a moderate, use this as a proof point for it. But there's so much downside Right? It's so much down. Like, how demoralizing for the volunteers and how demoralizing for the party. I, I just don't see the, I don't see the upside overwhelming it. I don't think voters are like, oh, conser- he was thinking about being a conservative. There, the, I, that's, there's like also this element to it, like, uh, you know, that, that I find interesting where when you try to showcase that you're wanted, it almost tries to engineer an element of you being 
like more than just a normal candidate that are is this person maybe a star some way like why why were two or three parties wanting them and you've seen this happen in the past right <laughs> where like certain candidates have kind of floated out all three parties wanted me and you fucking are lucky that i'm here sort of vibe and maybe they don't enter with enter with, with that vibe per se but yeah. we've seen that in our orbits and and, and, I, and it, they're trying to almost uh, yeah. engineer a, a a they're they're not a star candidate from all of the and we've had a whole episode on what defines a star candidate so i won't bore people with that but they haven't engineered the star candidates in any other way, and they're trying to use this as as kind of part of that. We saw that in 2015, uh, Lori Blakeman, who was the incumbent liberal MLA, mm-hmm. got herself nominated as a liberal, as a green, and as an Alberta party, I believe. She ran under all yeah. three banners. Yeah. She lost. She, did. she lost. Yeah. The NDP won. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, just being a little bit focused counts for something, too. And there is something to be said for mission and campaigns that also depend on relatively few people. And you need them to live and die for you and show up day in, day out and work those phones and hit those doors and be the people who do all of those random E-Day tasks. And that's a lot harder to do when it looks like you're not really a member of any team and you're some sort of political dilettante floating about. We're going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our next segment. Take that... We're in. Take that smoke and plug it into your charger, Carter. We have got so. I don't even know what that could be. Oh yeah. Well, listen, Carter. You'll pay more <laughs> if you smoke, vape, or if you own an oh, EV in Alberta, okay. Carter. But that's just the tip. Yeah. That's just the the headlines. Those are just the extractions, Carter. We have a new budget. It projects a three hundred sixty-seven yeah. million dollars surplus here in Alberta. I should say. Uh, but we'll also borrow cash to meet those obligations that they have outlined. The average Albertan likely doesn't uh, have uh, time to shift through the hundreds of pages of financial tables, but it includes the income tax delay, the election promise, the taxes that I mentioned on vaping, smoking, and electric vehicles, uh, specifically a $200 tax to apply to electric vehicles to make up for the fact that they don't uh, pay the fuel tax, uh, and a new levy for, for land titles registration as well. But Corey... The headline is really the fact that there's a spending cut. When you, you when you look into the fact that Alberta will grow, population will grow, inflation has current numbers, when you take the government for their word, there's a spending cut. And the reason I know this is because of you. You've done a lot of tables. You've done a lot of math. You've kind of put this out <laughs> on Twitter. So, Corey, maybe start us from, from where you want to start us in terms of, like, your analysis of the budget. And then I want to get into a bit of, like, yeah. strategy here for, 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 the, uh, for the UCP. Yeah, the budget has a name like a sensible budget for a growing province or some nonsense like that. Um, <laughs> here's the cha- here's the cha- we should talk a bit about names for budgets at some point, but here's the challenge. It's it doesn't keep up with the growth or the inflation that we're seeing here. And budgets ultimately just show you how many billions of dollars are being spent or how many millions of dollars are being spent. And if a government doesn't want you to understand what that means, it's pretty easy for the government to hide what that means. But when you do that math, when you say, okay, well, what are we expected to grow by? And those numbers are in the budget. If we say, well, what do we expect inflation to be? And those numbers are in the budget. It starts to tell a story of um, of an austerity that I don't think the government wanted us to be talking about, and certainly not one that they wanted to be putting in the front window. And so I'll give you kind mm-hmm. of the top lines here. In 2024 dollars, like if you want to adjust things for inflation, the government is spending per Albertan, you know, this year or this fiscal that just passed, $12,300. Government's big. Government spends a lot of money. In three years, It'll be a thousand dollars less than that. Like it'll be a big drop from that, like seven percent. And it's because they're not spending enough to keep up with inflation. They're not spending enough to keep up with growth. The upshot of that means you're going to have less money spent per student. You're going to have less money spent per patient, and you're going to see worse services in those things. Things do not get better with less money and hope. They just don't. I, I know that people like to think out there, all we got to do is trim the fat yeah. and we've just got to get that one super bureaucrat in a room who can work extra hard and, and run the entire fucking department, but it doesn't actually work like that. And when you get right down to it, there is less money per student and less money per patient. Healthcare is going to get worse. Education is going to get worse. Most things as a result of this budget are going to get worse. Carter, have they fumbled into austerity as a message or is this exactly where they want it to go? Well, this is exactly where they wanted to go. They they didn't want to do a spending budget. But what's fascinating is the uh, how how cleverly the austerity is covered. Uh, 
Mm, right? Yeah. Like if you look through the budget highlights, you're going to see, and we're spending this and we're spending that and we're spending this and we're spending that. But it's it's actually shocking how little some of those spends are. You know, they're they're highlighting a, a $20 million increase in 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 some healthcare areas. Um, you know, other education areas, they're talking about some increasing capital expenditures. But realistically, this is not a budget where people would look at it and go, oh, wow, I see my problem's going to be addressed. Um, just about every situation, uh, the, this budget does not keep up with population growth, I think with the notable exception of recovery services. Um, so if you want to get uh, recovery, if you're, if you're an addict right now and you want to get recovery, that is a, an area that they're spending a lot more money in. Uh, but only if you get the right type of recovery if you get the wrong type of recovery, you get nothing and you're expected to die on the street. So Jesus it's a bit Mark. it's a bit of a Jesus. What? Oh, sorry, that we was, meant and we meant die on the street was, and uh, find heavy. Jesus. That would probably be your best option at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. But that that is that is honest to God what's happening with with our budgets here. I mean, this is a a lot of it seems like a lot of money. But it's not really. Even when you look at what was forecast, like if you're looking at the revenue numbers and what was forecast, um, the forecast for 2023-24 was $5 billion higher than the actual budget is. Something is going on. Something is weird in this budget. And part of it is- Wait, wait, what, what do you mean? Um, like, uh, tease it out for me. Like, are, are you saving that for like a, a, like a punchline? Like, what do you mean? No, what do you mean like, something's going on? Well, I think that what's going on is that the, this is a budget that protect, that is is- forecasting lower revenues than were originally forecast uh, in part so they don't have to spend as much money. Uh, you know, there's nothing quite like being in the second quarter and being absolutely shocked that you've got a $5 billion surplus. How many times have we seen it, Corey? I mean, almost every time that the that uh, oil goes up in price, we get a, a significant bump in the amount of money that comes into the treasury, uh -huh. especially now that we've reached payout on so many projects. I mean, look at those bitumen numbers. They're, you know, bitumen royalties are over $12 billion, except they were report, you know, they were forecast to be over $14 billion. So we're the for obviously the forecasts are wrong. Forecasts are always wrong. But this is, this continues to be a situation where we're watching the, um, we're watching these numbers uh, get adjusted into a new forecast that that puts it down much lower. Why is that? Could be that they're expecting those the revenues to be lower. Could be just that. We're expecting the revenues to be lower. We've adjusted the forecasts. We're expecting it to be lower. Or it could mm. be if we showed a $5 billion surplus, it's going to be super duper hard to uh, project um, you know, to, to do this level of spending uh, because this amounts to cuts across the board as our good friend Corey Hogan has got the spreadsheet that proves. Corey, can you, can you do me a favor? Can you like read the play for me? Yeah. Like you had last week's sort of like premier's address. You have this budget. You got some of these small spending items. You got some of these niche taxes. Where, what's what's the play? Like, read read to me like what the play is here. What what are they trying to do? Like, of course you've got and, and by last week's address that big savings sort of ambitious savings plan that 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 she wants to put us on course. What do you think they're trying to do here? Like, how would you read this play? Well, I used to. Well, I still have a friend. I have a friend who used to do this thing that I would call two unrelated facts, mm. right? So if he wanted to go for a beer after work, he would call his wife and he would say, uh, busy day at work today. Anyhow, I'm going to be home late. Both true. <laughs> two unrelated facts, right? And and I feel the same way about the Premier's budget address and this oh, budget. We got an address about how we need to get off the royalty roller coaster. And then we got a budget that really tries to tamp down spending. Those are unrelated facts. Mm -hmm. there, there is nothing in this particular budget that gets us off the royalty roller coaster. In fact, we've never been more on the royalty roller coaster. The numbers Stephen's talking about, like twelve billion from Bitumen, holy ever loving fuck! That's yeah. like three times as much as all royalties were in the uh, Rachel Notley days when we were mm -hmm. looking at entirely different prices of oil, and none of these projects payout. were in yeah. payout. Like this is so much money. I cannot stress to everybody listening how much money Alberta's rolling in from royalties right now. $2 billion down from where we were is still like the second most we've ever had. It is it's like an unreal amount of money. And this is still what the budget looks like. 
like we have really painted ourselves into a corner here between like the Jason Kenney cut on the corporate income tax down to 8%, the uh, the fact that our, you know, our other income taxes don't come near addressing this, that we've we've reduced all sorts of things over time, the spending's still there. And you know, there are there are things that the government decided we just can't touch. It would be politically disastrous. And I'm glad they didn't touch them. Things like AISH, things like the seniors benefit. But by and large, most things are getting less money, you know, in real terms and certainly per per Albertan as things go forward here. But I think the government is trying to hide that austerity in the suggestion that mm. they're saving more. But they're not saving more. Yeah. I, you know, it's really quite interesting. It's quite an interesting political gambit. But it is ultimately, I think, also a fairly transparent one. So if that's the case, first of all, do you agree with that, Corey's analysis here in terms of what they're trying to do? And and if that's the case, you know, I hate to always come down to the conclusion of like, you know, but do the comms just override all of the facts here? But do the comms override all of the facts here that they could just try to tell us something is happening, knowing that most people will not do the research around it and that the story can overpower the reality? Once again, is this is this from that playbook or is this an entirely different play in your mind? I mean, let's take a look at some of the headlines. I mean, the headlines were, you know, tax, uh, tax going up on tobacco, tax going up on vaping, tax going up on EVs. Those are the tax. Those are the things that were covered. Not the spending is going to be dramatically below population and, 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 you know, population. That's a great point. I mean, so all the headlines were overtaken by, um, you know, these little taxes. Oh, my goodness, we're going to have to pay a new, a brand new levy. Well, we're. St- I think Corey pointed this out as well. We're still a ridiculously low level of levy when compared with the rest of the uh, of the, the rest of the country. You're talking about on the home, so home purchases we- or... Yeah, yeah, I mean, what are we looking at here? Like, what we're talking about is a uh, a budget that really just kind of screws everybody um, because, it, again, it looks one way and it is communicated one way. And that way is, look at all this new money and all this new spending. But really what it is, is it's quite a cut. And not only that, not only is it a cut, they're actually dictating where the spending is going to occur. So the increase in spending is taking away even more from areas that aren't getting those increases. So if you don't see your favorite project in the budget highlights of increased spending, you're not getting increased spending. In fact, that 7% cut that Corey's talking about, that's for the good shit. The stuff that isn't getting, like some stuff could be seeing a a cut of uh, up to 15% just based on inflation yep. and population growth, um, depending on how those numbers shake out over the next three years. So this is a budget that has been exceptionally well communicated to a press corps that is that is overstretched and unable um, to dig in and actually understand what's going on. Here's what's going on. Corey's analysis is absolutely correct. We are seeing a significant budget cut over the next five years. Period. Jump yeah. in, Corey. And look, yeah. reporters, I, I beg you, I beg you, reporters, next budget day, have your spreadsheets ready. Calculate using the government's own numbers. They're in there. They will have all of their assumptions in there. Calculate the expenses per Albertan. Take them all. Do it per Albertan. You, you got one guy who works for the Edmonton Journal, who understands Excel, bring them to the lockup and get them to do it for the entire press corps. In a rapidly growing province, even with moderate inflation... It can look like they're spending more and they can be gutting the place. Like they can be taking the copper out of the wires. Now that said, I don't know that this spin is going to be sustainable over the next three years. They can't hide this. People are going to see it in their kids' classrooms when they walk in and say, Jesus, there's 40 people in here. People are going to see it in the ER waiting rooms. They are going to hear the horror stories out there. It's not the kind of thing you can hide from because the one thing we haven't mentioned here yet is it's already in pretty bad state. The uh, the amount of spending on K-12 to is already per student the lowest in the country, mm-hmm. and it's going to go lower now. It's going to go lower now, and you can't hide that forever. It's like, if, it's like if your kitchen's on fire. You can't hide that forever to the guests that are sitting in the living room. So I think that's a reality that this government is going to have to contend with within this election cycle. So I certainly, if I were them, hey, congratulations, pretty good communications job. You are not out of the woods yet by any means. And one more thing that I think I need to say, and maybe we'll go here if you want to or not, Zane. The revenue is so good right now, and we can't do it. 
what is the plan? What is the go forward plan for the UCP? I don't even mean for the province. What is their plan before the next election to not just be facing a lynch mob? Carter, there's so many questions to ask here, but like the one, like in the sense of the opposition, the media, the groups that are want to be critical of this budget, that want to actually understand the truth behind this budget, where would you start? Would you start where Corey is starting around like, you know, there's a few schools of thought. Let me just lay them out there. Extremely, like, rudimentary, right? One is people will see it, so, like, we don't have to actually spend a lot of our time oxygen right now. This will be felt, and it's better that they feel it later than now because they're still early into their mandate. Another school of thought is you do it now, you don't let them get away with it. Why the fuck would you let them get away with it? They got away with it on week one, quote-unquote, right? You can't let them get, get away with it. And then the other sort of school of thought is, you know, it's a bit of both, right? You, you chip away at what's important now, and then once people feel it, you bring in another wave and say, it's, it's what we told you, so go back to, you know, f- previous comments. We've been on this beat for a while. How would you start thinking about this? And not to say that the media is the natural sort of opposition. They're not, right? Like they're, But they're the accountability mechanism and the official opposition. How would you start thinking about it around which questions you'd ask and when and, and, and how, Carter? Well, what I would start off with is is fundamentally how is this different than any other budget that might have been presented in the last, you know, forty years since in since uh, since Klein, uh, I guess it's thirty years since Klein, twenty years, twenty years since Klein kind of gutted the the revenue structure and created a uh, revenue model that just does not support the spending that we're looking at. Um, you can take personal income taxes and add them to all your personal income taxes and add them to your business income taxes and it doesn't equal healthcare spending right one department in the in the government all the other departments big department big but department yeah. but it you know your, your all your personal income taxes all your business taxes are not equal to your rev, to the to the actual uh spending in one department at some point that becomes unsustainable that has been the case for 30 years, we want to build up a $250 billion uh, heritage savings trust fund. How are we going to do it when the spending for one department exceeds the, the, the revenues from the average Albertan and their businesses? How are we going to get there is the question that I have. And that's the one that I would be asking if I was a journalist. How does this make sense? Is this budget fundamentally different than Ed Stalmack's? Yeah, it spends less. Is it different than Allison Redford's? Yeah, it spends less. Is it different than uh, Jim Prentice's? Not really. Is it different than than Rachel Notley? Not really. Here we are. Corey, jump in. Yeah, there is a thing. There is a chart in the Alberta budget that, as an Albertan, it just makes me want to light my hair on fire. And like, I worked for the government for four of these budgets that we're talking about here. And it made me want to light my fire, my hair on fire there too. Uh, but, you know, Treasury Board really loved it. We always put it in there. And it's this chart about Alberta's tax advantage, the Alberta oh, yeah. advantage over other provinces here. I want to paint a bit of a picture, especially for our non-Alberta listeners, but I actually think it's important for our Alberta listeners too. In our budget, we brag that all of our taxes, all of our fees, everything mm-hmm. put together, they are $19.6 billion lower than if we were to go accept the taxes and fees and structures of literally any other province. The next lowest province, we would raise $19.6 billion. We use that as a brag. If we, if yeah. we just moved to... We use that as a brag. Uh, if we went to the next lowest tax rates in the country, we have such a tax advantage over everywhere else. If we went to the next lowest tax jurisdiction, we would raise just shy of $20 billion. $20 billion. Okay. And and by the way, this is part of the explanation of why we're in such an insane hole right now, because the, we have like record-breaking royalty revenues, or pretty close to it. But that's only what? $17 billion? A mere $17 billion? It's not even enough to fill the fucking hole we've created for ourselves here. We could literally raise taxes to the lowest in the country still, put everything in the heritage fund and still be paying lower taxes than every other province yeah, here. I, that that's how big of a yeah. tax hole we've created for ourselves. Hey Carter, can I ask you this? You can ask anything. How I'll answer should probably something different. The UCP get away with it. Help the, help them devise a strategy to continue getting away with it. What does that look like? If 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 Just, this last 5 days was a success, we're focusing on even my headline, EVs and 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 smoking and all that sort of stuff. 
help him get away with this, what would you do? I'd point to all the money we're spending, all the small, all the small dollars that are going in. I mean, take a look at over, over, but of course, but over the three years where things will start crumbling and changing, like, like, help me, okay, start there. But I just want to make sure you understand the scope of what I'm, 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 I'm tasking you with, dude. Shit's been bad for 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 four years. We didn't reelect. Uh, we didn't elect Rachel Notley's NDP. Every indication is that we will take a conservative government no matter how bad the services are, right? 40 kids in my classroom, fucking school board. The, the, the you know, um, healthcare is falling <laughs> apart. Oh, I hate that AHS. Those guys don't know what they're doing. So much administration, right? Oh, you know, my, 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 my second cousin who's on AISH isn't, isn't able to survive fuck man this is a tough time it's a tough time it's expensive everywhere inflation's killing everyone right there's an excuse for everything so all i need to do if i'm building the 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 plan for the the ucp just keep pointing to the excuses point to the, the ndp killed our oil and gas industry except we've got the highest fucking royalties we've ever seen right i mean maybe not ever i think the natural gas under klein was higher but like this is huge amounts of royalties and they're not going anywhere either because the bitumen's going to come out at 45 percent royalties like this is fantastic all we need to do is just keep pointing the finger at everybody but ourselves and this audience this audience of conservatives is willing to believe it the school board fucked you on the number of students ahs is screwing you on the on the downturn in healthcare, and you know that's just one those are just two of the examples but i could come up with 15 more depending on which departments we wanted to talk and Corey, do a bit of yes and on this Uh, how would you start dividing this devising the strategy i should say to help the ucp quote-unquote get away with it or stick to their to their narrative lane they've been trying to sell since budget day yeah well one of the other things that's concurrent in this budget is the notion of choice right and what Carter hasn't talked about, and, and I mean, look, people go, people press this button way too quickly, but I, I think you do need to kind of acknowledge there are investments in private mm-hmm. education. There are going to be decisions made that open up uh, the healthcare system. And one of the villains to the large classroom story or in the large classroom story, and one of the villains in the long wait time at the hospital story is going to be the public service. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the notion that you've got overpaid and all of that and and so they'll find that other villain and they will do that and and they can even point to some things that are working really well because they are not being starved of funding that are more private options and that'll be part of the story too if they want to tell steven's story you asked me to yes and and so that's me yes anding but i do want to throw out there I don't think it's going to work this time like it, it works every we, time we talked about why don't you think every, it's yeah but we yeah. talk I'll tell you because we've never actually been in a hole this deep before. So Stephen talked about all of those other premiers and the budgets that they had. Healthcare was not, or or sorry, uh, education was not last in the country at those times. It wasn't. Now it is. Now it is. And that's tough. That's a bit weird. Like I got a little smug talking to friends in Toronto about them having to struggle through healthcare and, uh, you know, education, malaise and morose. But that's not uh, that's not going to be the case anymore. Now we have going to ha- we're going to have some clearly worse services, especially. Th- in th- this is where I, I kind of uh, you know converge with Corey Carter, which is you could win the next couple of months, maybe even you win the next year with a bit of like you know, um, and this word is often used incorrectly, but with a bit of apathy, you you may even get through a little bit longer. But then when shit hits the fan, how do you kind of like regroup? How do you reduce? Uh, you guys, yeah. You know, what do you think? You guys are cute. You guys are cute. I love you guys. This but is why I, I do the I, podcast. Genu- you, if you, if, if so you and Danielle were tag teaming oh. again, would you just be like, don't worry about it? Would that literally be like, I, I get the don't worry about it vibe from you. Like, would you just be like, fuck it, just whatever? Like, would that actually Every be... Every conservative... Well, only one conservative premier has ever lost to another candidate. And that, you know, that was when the, the right and the left were split, right? Or, you know, the right, the two rights were split. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't believe this for a second, but I'm just going to throw this argument out there. Uh, to, so the, there was a split vote, and uh, that's the only reason that the, the NDP won. So if we keep the right together, we'll win forever. 
And the way to keep the right together is to curtail spending. Because if anything, if, if, if there is one group that believes in curtailing spending, it is Albertans. They will not object to this. And if they do object, we have villains. There's so many villains. We can just point to them one after the other. Now, I happen to believe that, that we're not that conservative of a province, but still I anticipate that Danielle Smith will have no problem selling this vision of what Alberta needs to look like to, in the future. And to throw up that there's going to be privatization to go along with this? What a victory. Privatization? That's exactly what we needed. Private services of what the conservatives have been calling for for the better part of 30 years. I mean, I remember beating Gary Marr because he said we needed more private health care. This isn't new. It continues on and it's going to continue under uh, Danielle Smith, except now she's done the right work. She starved the system of resources. And so now well, she's starved it of resources. And the only solution is privatization. And obviously this is all going to work out for her. I honest to God think that if the NDP doesn't figure it out and doesn't figure out how to uh, align their values with the values of Albertans, we're stuck here for probably another decade. Corey, on, the, on this vein... Help me help me select a metric that the UCP can start pointing to as a metric of that that would help them. Is it is it the savings right. number? Is it the surplus? You could choose any of these metrics, these conventionally used sort of metrics that we have, right? And and when we talk about the storytelling exercise, we often talk about how the numbers support a story that was going to be told regardless of the number. But which number would you start focusing on? Um, which number would you start engineering, tweaking, torquing, you know, um, to, to kind of say, this is what matters. What matters is this story that we're selling you, the Stephen Carter story, all these villains, and what number or what series of numbers justifies it are these ones. If you were helping the UCP right now, what would you, what would you elevate in your mind? Yeah, government has no shortage of metrics they can choose from to tell the stories that they want to tell. And of course, they have the ability to influence them pretty significantly here. So as you're sitting here in 2024, you want to be a little bit open to changing your metrics as it goes along. But let me paint you a not unrealistic scenario here. You, you start sitting there and you realize in 2026, actually, our math scores are better than they've been in like 10 years. Maybe because you've told people to direct all of the resources into math and away from mm-hmm. the social sciences, mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. arts, all of those things. And so then you're saying, you're talking about starving the system. We've never had higher math scores. We've never had higher postgraduate employment rates here. This province is booming. This province is diversified and it's thanks to us. And there you are. Not even a financial metric, so to speak. Education's not looking Mm -hmm. so tricky. And again, like the parents who are sweating through their kids being ignored in a 40-person classroom, yeah, maybe they're lost to you. Or maybe they feel that's not part of your winning. The fact that you're like, or maybe, wait, what? If if, you know, like, I could see. Yeah, must be my fucking school. This fucking school's terrible. Other schools are doing great in some ways, right? Right? Blame the school board. Make it local. Make it a local problem. Same with same with yeah. healthcare, though, Zane. There are what I don't know fifty metrics that you can get from Kai High. Pick the one we're doing okay on there, and just use it as the proof point every single time you're talking about healthcare. Mm-hmm. And then you also get to talk about. And by the way, we have more choice than ever before. We're spending less than these other jurisdictions, and we're number one. We're we're fucking awesome. Like we're just the best. And so this is how you start to tell the story as you move into the next area. And again. If your mother died in the waiting room, yeah, you're not going to vote UCP. But this is how you tell the story to the people who are not directly impacted. This hey, is how you Carter, spin Carter, that. Carter, I was still thinking think- of a financial metric. Corey actually presented like a, a really interesting sort of case around like how you kind of use the, the outputs of, of what you're doing. Well, what are you thinking? Like I, I'm asking you the same question on, on metrics. Well, keep in mind, I, I disagree with Corey. I think that the person who has their mother die in the in the hallway is just going to blame the administration in the AHS. I still think that that's the case. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've heard purple mm. people talking that way. And in terms of the metric, wait until, again, you know, second quarter, all of a sudden, we're going to have $3 billion of extra money that's going to go into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. Isn't that pretty great? I mean, it's the equivalent of running up your credit cards and putting your money into the RRSP. I mean, it's 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 there. It's it's something Possible. you can do. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's it's not necessarily the best strategy for a long term uh, financial gain for the province. And and I mean, we can see debt increasing 
as they go through this their their projections. Um, debt increases, but it does go down by as a percentage of uh, GDP. These 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 folks are interesting because they're playing these games that the liberals play, uh, and they're playing them. I think I think just better at it by by focusing on you know GDP to debt instead of real numbers to debt. Right. And also the net debt goes down considerably because you are increasing your assets. Corey, let's talk about the revenue. You you put it on the table earlier. We'll kind of get out of the strategizing for the UCP mode for a second here and, and take those hats off. Um, there's no way she could do a PST, is there? I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying maybe I'll phrase it this way. Is she? Yeah. Would it be Danielle Smith? of all the premiers we have seen that could maybe get away with the PST. Let me start the revenue conversation there, and then let's expand it to, to where you want to take it. I think that it's always possible to do these things if you're willing to do mm. other things. So could Danielle Smith bring in a PST? Sure. If she got rid of income tax, right? There's an interesting right-wing idea. There's a, oh, yeah. a way that you cause less that. pain in the system, right? So yes, it is possible. Is it probable? Mm-hmm. No, because the conservatives themselves are the ones who passed the law that says you have to, yeah. uh, that it's got to go to referendum. And I mean, that's a big lift. Like when you look at the polling around a sales tax, like two thirds of Albertans oppose it. I think it, depending on the poll, you'll maybe get like 40% uh-huh, uh-huh. if you're lucky, if you find like a really good poll. But when the rubber hits the road, we've seen no evidence ever that Albertans will support a sales tax. So I don't know how she passes that through the system. She'd need to ignore her own law. It would be a bit suicidal to attempt. And the re- the reason I start the conversation there is, is you, you brought up this $20 billion next best province sort of marker sort of thing and wearing yeah. that as a badge but of say, honor. How, how do we, how do we make yeah, up the gap even in these frothy times? This is a thing. This is, this is kind of, this is the simple-minded conversations we've mm. fallen into here. It's not just a sales yeah, yeah, yeah. tax. So many other ways. It's not. Like, we could bring in a sale. No, it's no. I don't even mean so many other ways. I mean, you could bring in the sales tax, and you'd close, like, half that. Yeah, half, less than half. Right? Yeah. So, like, it, it's like everything we do in this province. On and the by the way, you could have a budget that was not starving all of these systems with just a couple billion more dollars, you know, a few billion more dollars. You don't need to raise $19.6 billion and close this tax gap entirely. We still have the 17 fucking billion dollars or whatever it is from the royalty revenues. You just need a few things. You just need a couple of smart tweaks here. So, like, with that in mind, why on God's green earth would Danielle Smith say, what we need is a sales tax, which is going to raise way more revenue than I need. All of a sudden, I'm going to have massive surpluses, even if I'm paying for health mm. education, right? Like, that's a pretty bonkers idea. That'd be a pretty dumb thing mm-hmm, to do, I mm-hmm. think. So I just can't imagine that that's Carter, talk to me about, uh, Corey, you lay out the revenue gap between the next province versus the need, perhaps, in terms of what it means to, to have some of these programs uh, function better than, than, than what they would be with the current dollar amounts that they're going to be getting. Carter, how do you think of the revenue challenge for, for the UCP here in these frothy times? And, and what's the political line of attack for you? Well, I think that the, the the challenge for the UCP is is that they come in thinking that it's a spending problem, and very very quickly. Because keep in mind, this has been the conservative talking point for the better part of twenty years. It's a spending problem. It's a spending problem. It's a spending problem. We spend so much more per capita than any other market, uh, except we're not anymore, right? It, to Corey's point, and Corey's starting to show that the 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 expenditures are now part of the problem, not part of the solution. Um, so. We are, uh, you know, we're a little bit screwed. And 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 now that I've done my preamble to the answer, of course, I, I <laughs> forgot us, the question. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was memorable question, but uh, it was. Uh, I'm tired. It, I went skiing. No, today. that's fine. I, and we could see it in the rosy cheeks, Carter. Uh, and and we can see oh it. Um, <laughs> it's 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 not makeup. That's not makeup. Our, I didn't our, put makeup our on. California bakery sells pastries of that color. Um, Corey, once again, I'm not going to let go of that joke, which is going to be topical for two days. That's good. Okay? It's okay. going to be topical for yep. two days. Um, finish this off here with, with the NDP strategy. Carter alluded to a bit. 
Carter's like, they need to get the game together, right? Like, figure out a, a values alignment with Albertans. I don't want to speak for you, but in some ways, I almost sense that, like, you, you feel like the UCP won't get away with it this time. Would that be kind of part of your, your, your advice to the NDP here in the sense of, like, know that that's a case? Like, there is some, like, confidence the NDP should have in terms of, like, you know, that there's a fair portion of the, at least the urban electorate that voted for them. But how would you kind of help them think through this? Well, they do need to break apart the spin that the government is throwing out here. They cannot take the bait on things like the EV tax, right? There's $200 on registration that Stephen and I now need to pay for our EVs starting 2025. Don't take that fucking bait. Don't do it. Don't do it. If somebody's buying an EV, they're voting for you anyways, probably. Don't fucking do it, right? Um, And you don't want to look like you're out of touch or somehow suggesting that EVs shouldn't have to pay their fair share for the roads. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait on Do any of the shit. you think all this is, is bait, your to eyes. be clear? Like, uh, a lot of so, it right? is bait. Yeah. Keep, keep your eyes on the big story and the big picture, the things people actually care about. Break apart the government's kind of mystique and obfuscation around healthcare, around education, around the services that people actually rely on and care about, and make it clear to Albertans, however you do it, through your communications, that these things are being starved. That is actually the story that you need to tell, and that is the message that you need to put in the foreground. It can't be a million other things. It can't be, by the way, what I saw earlier, which is the uh, NDP Twitter account there was tweeting about shame on the government for increasing the land transfer tax. Right? Who cares? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Such a, like, I get what they're thinking. Hey, it makes a house more expensive. Okay right? You're sort of missing the entire point of this budget. But this has always been a bit of a critique I've had of of the NDP's communications. Like, focus on what fucking matters and stay on it for five days, for 50 days. You don't need a new thing every goddamn day. And so I, I think that that is my advice to the NDP and frankly, any well, of Carter, the Carter, same question. And Corey, thanks for adding leadership candidates. Your advice to, to the party and then any of the folks uh, running for leadership. Uh, Shannon Phillips should be in charge of everything. Um, she said healthcare is doomed. Just keep saying that, right? Just keep saying how healthcare is doomed. You you can you can switch yeah, it up short, every once crisp. in a while and say our yep. children are are screwed. Um, you know we have to we have to take care of our schools. We have to take care of our healthcare system, um, and just keep going back and forth. I mean. Right now, we know that we have a new mental health department and a new, uh, a new primary care department. How the fuck are they going to be funded through this thing? Right? How, what's going to happen with them? How, the nurses want 25% increase in their wages. What's going to happen? How long do we think that strike's going to last? Um, what's going to happen to patients during that time? What's this government's plan to deal with this inflationary pressure? You know, you guys both make an interesting point about this, which is give me your advice to to the NDP and leadership candidates on tone. Like, I, I, I I get like area and content, but like, would you be angry or would you look unhinged if you're hangry? Would you would you be pugilistic or would you look like you're overreacting if you're pugilistic? Like, give me your advice on on tone here. Like, would you use expletives? Or would you? Would that be over the top? Like, I, I think this is an interesting conversation when you're trying to refocus a bunch yeah. of spin. You clearly don't have the resources of the government. You have a leadership race, but you don't have the resources of the government to counter spin and, and change weather patterns like they're trying to. So when you break through, I think tone is almost as important as content. Advice for the NDP. Corey, you first and then Carter. Well, when you you, talk, you asked what I swear, I wouldn't swear. I'm giving hypotheticals. There, actually, Carter and I were yeah, talking about yeah. this. Well, Carter and I were talking about this yesterday at breakfast hey, why in was a I totally invited? different context. Mm, uh, we awkward. Talking about you. No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was related to something unrelated what? to you. Yeah, like what? Like, it's, it's got a... Now we can't talk I got a contract. Can't, I can't do the work. I'm subbing it to Corey. He's going to take care oh, of it. I could do the work, probably. No, you really could. You for sure could not do the work. Why couldn't no. I do the work? Yeah, because it's uh, skill sets mostly. Yeah, yeah. If we're gonna be, it feels yeah, like a racial rank. thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. In fact, that's what <laughs> okay. it was. It was a racial thing. Yeah. Continue. Uh, white suit brunch. Yeah, okay, okay, keep going. Look. So you were at your white suit brunch. White. That's right. You were I, discussing we were. this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He told me he was yep. skiing, but and, who knows? You know, he could be at brunch. <laughs> look. In a corporate setting, 
You can yep. be angry. Yes. You can swear. You cannot swear when you're angry. Like that's that's yes, sort of the yes, rule. Yes, that's yes. where you start to look yep, unhinged yep, yep. to your point. And so what the it's a it's an interesting question you ask. Like you need to be able to throw a punch, but I do think you want to be able to throw a punch in a way that's not entirely mm. off putting to everybody else. And you do need to also be able to calibrate, right? Yeah, this is a three on the dial. This is a 10 on the dial. This is a six on the dial. And you got to be able to say what's appropriate to the particular moment here. And again, you can't take the bait. But I think that what you generally want in a politician globally is somebody who can uh, hit you and then you just sort of realize afterwards that you were hit because it was done with kind of like Mm. a charm or a cleverness. And that's um, yeah, that's a skill set I think that all of the NDP candidates should be aspiring to build. But um, yeah, like it's an interesting question you ask because it almost assumes like it's a mutually exclusive thing. Like point. either you're an optimist or you shit on Danielle Smith. And there's ways you can optimistically shit on uh, Carter. I wasn't uh, I wasn't doing anything until twelve thirty yesterday. I just checked my calendar while Corey was speaking. Just uh, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Oh, our lunch was done oh, by twelve. Yeah, that's, we were. We had it. We yeah. we could have let you go for sure. Oh. It was uh, really good. I had hot cakes. Uh, we were trying. Yeah. We were also discussing. I had French toast. What was the difference between a hot cake and a pancake? A pancake. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't quite get through it. Um, I would go with sympathetic <laughs> as a tone. You w- really? Uh, you wouldn't go like aggressive, assertive. You wouldn't. You wouldn't take that lane. I think sympathetic. Well, keep, I'd be really feeling bad for mm. Albertans. I mean, this is the first year of four. This is the first year of four. This is going to have, you know, Corey's point. I mean, we're at 30 plus students now. What's it going to look like uh, in four years? What's it going to look like in healthcare in four years? Um, you know, we, we've got a cancer center we're barely using. We've got, the, the, we still have this the floors not being used in the South ca- Health Campus. We've got one of the most expensive ho- hospitals being built in Edmonton that's ever been built anywhere. And it's still not going to be able to be utilized because we won't have the staff. We won't have the people. This is, I mean, what is what are Albertans going to do? I feel bad for them. I feel bad for Albertans. I feel bad for Albertans who didn't vote for the UCP. And I feel bad for the Albertans who did vote for the UCP because I don't believe for one second this is what they voted for. Cor- Not for Cor- one Cor- second. That's really, that's a really important here. point. Yep. That's, you cannot blame people for the decisions they made. We talked about this, I think, even as recently yeah, as last yeah, like episode, episode you, you can't, before, you can't but it can't back. be... Can't be. I told you so. It's it's it does have to be sympathy for the people who voted for the UCP. Like, my goodness, you know, sold a bill of goods. Uh, this and not like you're a sucker for falling for it. Shame on them for lying to you. Shame on them for misleading you and suggesting that you were going to get a different budget than you got here. But don't worry, we're going to we're going to hold them to account. Right. And we're going to put forward something that you can support in 2027 and we're going to make sure between now and 2027 we're doing whatever we can to slow down the damage they're doing to the system we're going to leave that segment there move it on to our final segment Stephen carter our over under and our lightning round we do it for you even if you don't invite some people over to brunch it's fine um it's it's fine uh Stephen carter you might have discussed all these topics ahead of time who, who, what do i know i wasn't part of it we did uh, okay we did. hey carter <laughs> did it work or did it not work is the frame for this question Danielle Smith holding a press conference telling David Parker to get some help and that she is not beholden to him. She, she effectively said, listen, I hope he deletes his Twitter account. I hope he gets some help. I want nothing to do with any kind of the comments that are personal in nature. David Parker going after Pierre Polyev and others. Uh, we should not just be putting up uh, with that in, in the public square. Did it work or did it not work in your mind, Stephen Carter, what Danielle Smith was trying to accomplish? It did not work because in November, she's going to be beholden to this guy. I mean, you can't just simply say, you know, I'm not beholden to him or I want him to get mental health help. Um, I mean, the guy does not seem well. I understand that. And I and I understand the, the reason why she said what she said. But when we, you know, every single board member is, is, is a take back Alberta person. They can flood the meeting in November and take her out if they choose to. She's going to be nice to him under every circumstance. I'm sure there was a phone call that day or the next day. David, I really do care about you. I really do want you to get help. But no, don't worry. Your agenda is still my agenda. Thanks. Love, Danielle. Corey, did it work or did it not work? 
she effectively said, I'm going to read you a quote here, right? She says, listen, um, I, ha- I have to be absolutely clear that nobody tells me what to do as premier. The only people I take marching orders from are Albertans. Did it work or did it not work? <laughs> the distance laughable. herself That's laughable. from David Parker. What do you think? I think what's more noteworthy is that she ended up having to say anything at all. But really, the commentariat class in Alberta for a good week was just really all over Parker's increasingly surreal comments. And, you know, I do actually think there's there's something not going great in that guy's life that this is how he's lashing out. This is a bit wild. And who acts like this in a general sense? And is this how he wants to be remembered? A guy who you know calls himself a Christian and calls himself a conservative and saying very unchristian things while fighting with conservatives. It got a little bonkers there, right? The idea that you should get off Twitter and get help is good advice for hundreds of millions, frankly. I don't think that it hurt her all that much to say it with that base that Stephen's mm. talking about. But, you know, let's see. Let's see where, where we are in a couple of weeks here. Um, because if it just falls back into the patterns, those words mean very little, right? If And by patterns, I mean if she continues to be implementing the Take Back Alberta agenda, seemingly at the behest of David Parker and others, it means very little. But it might have been enough to get her through the week and at least stop the story from ending up in her office. It's probably just at the doorstep, thanks to the comments. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for this next one. As far as political bait or political strategy goes, what did you make of the $200 EV tax? It was it was clearly engineered to get people calling Stephen Carter and then laughing on the phone, which is what I did after you didn't pick up my call. Uh, but but <laughs> as, it, as it relates to like what it was trying to be, and it, to be clear, it is also a $200 tax, which is what it is, but there's also yeah. a political calculus to it. Are you in or out in terms of what it was trying to do for for the UCP? Pure strategy level. I I listen. I don't even think it's a crazy policy. It, it is true that I don't pay any fuel taxes as an EV driver. Now in Alberta, they just go into general revenue. They don't actually pay for roads directly. Yeah. But and, and you know, and most jurisdictions say, hey, that's a cool incentive that'll help get people onto EVs. Yeah. If Alberta doesn't want to do that, that's fine. But I actually don't think it's particularly punitive. I did kind of napkin calculations. And while I don't think that I would have been spending the equivalent of $200 if I were driving a, a truck, eh, you know, it was close enough. It was like 150 bucks mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. So whatever. It actually doesn't bother me very much. I actually would like to see them go all in with this idea. Okay, we want to register and uh, and pay on registration for the damage that's done to roads. Fucking bring it on. Let's do it by weight. Let's do it by kilometers driven. Let's yep. do this. Do you want to do this? Let's do this. I'm all in for this. I want to see the people driving their F-250 Super Duties have to pay this thing. I want to see, uh, you know, everybody have to make the choice about how many axles they have and what the impact is. If we want to be consistent with this policy, I'm all in on this policy. I think it actually makes a great amount of sense that on registration, you pay for these kinds of things. But let's fucking do it, right? Now, that's the policy version. In terms of bait... Wonderful bait, because what they're doing is actually pretty reasonable. See my previous Uh comments. And so anybody who freaks out too much about it just looks like an entitled, smug cocktail environment. Electric people owning or sympathizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Nobody should engage on this particular one. And I'll tell you, my fellow EV drivers, we can pay this. We should pay this. It's not We're doing okay, is the last line he wanted to say. Uh, Carter. (laughs) No, I'm (laughs) saying... It's how we pay for roads. We're going to use roads. Let's pay for he's roads. He's saying that our... It's our, not our, how we no. pay for roads, but that's... That, he's I, saying I, something he, about our individual bank accounts. Now, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. Small things. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Carter, are you in or yeah. out from a political strategy on the on the EV tax? Listen, I, I am totally in, and I'll tell you why. We pay tax on alcohol. We pay tax on uh, cigarettes. We pay tax on vaping. Uh, we pay tax. I, I mean, we should pay tax on every single one of the sins all the that bait. we commit. All and there is, yeah, I just, there is no <laughs> sin greater than driving an electronic vehicle in the province electronic of Alberta. Electronic vehicle. We should pay okay. yeah, an electronic vehicle. He doesn't vehicle. stand for electronic. But... Doesn't it? <laughs> what does he stand for? Electric. Oh, the electric yeah. vehicle. It's still a sin, Corey. <laughs> doesn't matter what you call it. Porn is porn. Right? And sins are yeah. sins, and we should pay our taxes. Carter, over, under, Pierre Polyev is, is uh, when you look at some of the recent polling, it looks like about 15 points ahead. Justin Trudeau, right? Oh, yeah. 
Over, yep. under, let's use 15. The conservative win in, in, in Durham tomorrow in the by-election. Over, under on 15. Over. Corey, over, under on 15. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna hold you to it. There's an accountability mechanism. It shows up at, at one point. I'm gonna record an episode where I hold you accountable for all your comments over the last several years. That's yeah, never, uh, gonna happen. never gonna happen. Never gonna happen because you'll have to listen to all the episodes. Once uh, once yep. Jeb yeah. Bush goes for his third term, we'll do it then. Uh, Carter, <laughs> we're gonna start with you for our final one. Brian Mulroney has passed away. Let's end on a let's uh. end on a let's end on a, a grateful note. What will his legacy be? It, it's so interesting to see some of these tributes on the Sunday morning programs or even uh, later in the day on Thursday when it was announced that he, was passed, uh, that he had passed uh, to kind of see the Globe and Mail had put out a, an accidental tweet talking about his, I, I think the word was contentious or, or divisive. Other people thought it was NAFTA and free trade, the GST. Uh, some people thought it'd be what it'd be afterwards and his sort of statesman-like behavior. But for Stephen Carter... Longtime political observer, longtime political strategist. What is the Mulroney legacy for you? The the fiscal framework. I mean, you talk about NAFTA, you talk about the GST, but there was a fiscal framework that he created uh, together with Michael Wilson that um, Gretchen campaigned against. But Kretchen and Paul Martin continued, right? That fiscal framework continues. Uh, we can still see the, the bones of that fiscal framework today in the federal government. This is, uh, even Stephen Harper didn't undo the fiscal framework that was created in, in the 80s and into the early 90s. That fiscal framework is Brian Mulroney's legacy, and it is something that uh, Canadians punished him for. That's the that's kind of the double whammy of what are we going to remember? Uh, what are we going to remember him for? We're going to remember him for being hated, bringing in the GST, getting punished for the GST, and then ultimately every other prime minister uh, wrapping themselves in the same fiscal framework. And I'm not just talking about the GST, uh, free trade, GST, um, expanding our economic influence over our. Some of, you know, what we'd had in the past, which was our peacekeeping initiatives. So uh, fascinating fellow, um, punished tremendously for that which we wound up uh, embracing uh, in Canadian history. Corey, also a very interesting sort of like political culture conversation around whether he was conservative or a moderate. Would he have fit in today? Would he have not? All those interesting sort of like, you know, let's transplant him to today and see where he would have fit style questions. But for you, I'll ask you the same broad question I asked Carter. What is a Mulroney legacy? Anybody who's around that long is going to become a bit of a Rorschach test and people are going to read into the legacy what they want. It, it's so interesting. Like on Twitter, I saw people saying, yeah, Oka, that's what he should be remembered oh, yeah. for. Fuck that guy. And then I saw people saying he stood up, uh, you know, against apartheid South Africa. And, mm-hmm. and he did that more so than anybody else. That should be his legacy. I heard some people talk about his commitment to democracy and that free vote on the death penalty, but then him giving impassioned speeches against a death penalty. Maybe that's it. Obviously NAFTA. Obviously his environmentalism. You know, there are so many things you can say about him. Uh, obviously the GST, the fucking yep. collapse of the PCs that followed with Kim Campbell. Mm-hmm, All of this mm-hmm. can be laid at his feet. He was a very, very impactful prime minister. He was a very important prime minister. I think I've said on this show, I think the two most important prime ministers of my lifetime were Mulroney and uh, and Trudeau the Younger, uh, only because I was born after the big drama of Trudeau the Elder. But, you know, it, they, he was really a big, big deal. You know, Meech Lake, Charlotte, my God, there's so oh, many yeah, things so I haven't many. even mentioned mm-hmm. as I rattled this all off here, right? Um. It's it's so tough to it's so tough to unpack a legacy like that, and I think uh, you know that's a bit of a cop out. But ultimately, he's a Rorschach test. I thought he was an interesting guy because I like politics, and he did a lot of interesting plays. He moved a lot of chess pieces in unexpected ways. He took big fucking swings, and sometimes he fell on his face doing it. But uh, yeah, he was quite a prime minister, not just. Not just good, not just bad, but quite a premise. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1289 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velju. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.